Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. O-G. Make some noise! How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. My special guest today, Giants GM Dave Gettleman, who's been entrusted in getting Big Blue back to the glory days. Can he do it? We'll let him tell you. And speaking of glory days of years long gone by, can new head coach Dave Fisdale do the same for the Knicks? And then there's the case of Matt Harvey, whose career with the Mets is over and out. First up, without further ado, it's now my pleasure to bring in the aforementioned general manager of your New York football Giants, the man, as I said, who's entrusted in bringing the Giants back to their glory days, those championship days, Mr. Dave Gettleman. Dave, thanks for joining me this afternoon. My pleasure, Rush. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Um, Terrific. Hey, it's nice. It's sunny. What could be bad? But having said that, listen. We'll find out just how good your draft was once the players get to perform on the field. But, you know, as they say, on paper, you guys look like you did very, very well by the Giants. Well, you know, it's like you said, on paper. You know, we feel very good about it, Russ. Um, you know, Saquon was the highest rate, rated guy on our board. And the, the value was too good. And uh, getting Will Hernandez in the second round was a, a complete surprise to me. I really thought he'd go late in the first. You know, Will's a Will's a really a pro-ready kind of kid. He's it's important to him. He's, he plays with crankiness, and he's a natural 325-pound guy. So he's he's got he's a power broker, and you know we're, we felt adding him as the third new guy that uh, we really uh, have a chance to put together a quality group. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, before we get to the other guys, I just wanted to get back because obviously you mentioned Saquon Barkley first. And like Hernandez, did you, Pat Shermer, and your staff view Barkley as what I would call the most NFL ready to perform player in the draft? The guy who can come in right away and, for lack of a better term, be a star? You know, Yes. Okay. <laughs> the cliff answer is yes, and and really, Russ, we you know I talked about it at pressers and all this other stuff, and you know Saquon is was just he's ready, you know he's NFL ready. He's got excellent receiving skills. Uh, you know the only thing you know 
the only thing you have to do is clean up his blocking technique and pass pro. But, you know, most importantly, he sees it. He can scan, protect. He can go to the fast side. So, you know, he's just got to clean up his technique like anybody does. All right. And go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And now, Hernandez, you made a comment, and it really stuck with me, you know, after he was picked. You made a comment about him. And also there's a similar comment about B.J. Uh, Hill. We, we've skipped Lorenzo Carter. I'll get back to him. But the, the reason I say that, you mentioned both guys play in the middle, and that is a violent place to play. You have to really want to be, be able to mix it up, and you viewed both of these guys, even though one's on the offense and one's on defense, having that kind of mentality. You know, absolutely, Russ. It, it, it's a man's world in there. <clears throat> it is definitely not for the faint of heart. And, these, you know, these are young kids we're dealing with. And they're going to be lining up against 26, 27, 28-year-old guys that are cranky and old and, and you know, have families to feed and, and who understand what it's all about. And, you know, they've got to get ready because, like I said, it's, it, it's violent in there. And it's a tough man's game. It's a big man's game. And, and nothing's ever going to change that. Now, let's get back to uh, the, your first pick in the third round, um, Lorenzo Carter. Well, you know, um, you know, you have to rush the passer in this league, plain and simple, Russ. If you can't rush the passer, I don't care how good your back end is, they can't cover forever. So you, you, you've got to get pressure. And, and we view Lorenzo as a kid that got, you know, got solid pressure at Georgia and uh, has the ability to really – be a, a solid pass rusher, and uh, and the other thing that gets us fired up is he. I mean, he plays the run. He's pretty solid against the run. He's got a, ch- you know, he's got a chance to be a legitimate three-down outside linebacker for us, and uh, you know, so you know that that was an important pick for us because I didn't know once we get once you get past the first couple of rounds, you, you it's tough to get a legitimate pass rusher. All right, now we get to uh, number four, Mr. Kyle Lawletta. Anytime you pick a quarterback, I don't care if it's the last round, the first round, everybody's you know gets raised eyebrows. Your thoughts on Mr. Lawletta? Well, you know, Russ, he played you know played one double A ball at Richmond, and they were in a solid conference. They played you know that's good one double A football, and uh, you know he had the four offensive coordinators in four years and. You know, people talk about that kind of stuff. But when you watch him play, um, what you see is a, a kid who can, you know, play the quick, you know, throw the quick game. He has the pocket patience and presence to uh, stand in there, avoid, and, and work the pocket. He's got a feel so he knows when the when, when he's got get to get, get out of there. He's a good athlete. And, uh, you know, he uh very accurate passer. He's got a really nice feel. He can get it into tight windows. Um, does not have great deep arm strength. That's been discussed thoroughly, but they all get bigger. You know, they all get bigger. They all get stronger. The arm strength can improve, and uh, he's just got a great feel for the game. And you know, at that point, you know, with us, we thought it was a uh, he was a great value. And speaking of that value, I viewed it, and correct me if I'm wrong. I viewed it as a situation where you have him and. Um, uh, Davis Webb, D- D- Davis Webb, who I just had on last week, 
And and Davis, you know, Davis, Davis's attitude is bring him on, you know, whoever it is. Uh, you know, I had asked him uh, prior to the draft if getting if the Giants didn't draft a quarterback. And when I meant that, I didn't mean in the fourth round. I meant, you know, with the first pick early and, and his attitude was. I don't care. I, I mean, it doesn't affect me. I want to be a good teammate, and I want competition. So I view this, Loletta and him, as you have faith in both guys and let the best man win. Is that a fair assessment? That's that, Russ, that's right on the money. You know, uh, Davis has done a lot of good things out here during the OTAs and uh, really made some nice throws in, in the mini camp we were able to have uh, the week of the draft. And uh, you love his attitude. He's competitive as all get out, and he's, he's a smart kid, and he and he works at it. So you know we're we're uh, it, it, it's not drafting Lauletta was not any indictment whatsoever on on Davis. It was just a, the right time, you know, the right value for for Kyle at that time. What I find something that's been silly, and, and I'm sure you listen. I know you well enough. You don't care, and that, that that's I think is what's going to be your hallmark and make you a good GM in this city. But uh, what I find been silly is that some people, and I'm talking fans and media alike, have been critical of the Barkley pick, insisting you should have gone for one of the highly rated quarterbacks. What do you say to that? Well, what I say to that is, you know, I've been in way too many drafts to count, and I've watched teams that I've been with reach for players, and and pass up a, a higher value player, and more often than not, that is going to it's a mistake, Russ. It's it's just a flat mistake. And what I say to people is, you know, in, in terms of taking Saquon, because it's certainly not an indictment on the quarterbacks. It's it's really a, a a hello about how talented Saquon truly is. And if you think about it. You know, he makes everybody better. He makes the quarterback better. He makes the O-line better. He makes the wide receivers better. And then he makes our defense better because, you know, if he's the guy that we think he is, we're going to ha- we're gonna hold the ball longer. And, you know, you, you go into all kinds of stats about w- winning and losing, and, and to me the two big ones are turnovers and ball, and, and ball possession. And, you know, Saquon will help us do that. And I, as I've said before, I don't subscribe to the, you can't take a running back high because of their, their history, it, you know, the, the length of their career. I don't subscribe to that. There's plenty of, we got Jonathan Stewart is in his 11th season, and Jonathan can still play. So I don't, I don't subscribe to that. Listen, you know, you make a decision and people are not going to agree, and that's part of this, part of any, any industry. And uh, I feel very strongly that we made the right decision. Yeah, with what cracks me up, and in particular, I mean, I'll say some of the people in the Daily News, I mean, Dave Gettleman is going to regret this for a decade when he looks back on who he picked, you know, because you should have taken Don Old and the Giants need to worry what the Jets are doing. And, and to me, that's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo because to me, in any sport, if you're a GM – and you're worried what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is saying, you're dead in the water. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, people don't understand. The, the thing that I find interesting, Russ, when, when I got down to Carolina 
you know, the press would press me about decisions that the former GM had made. And I told him, I said, I'm not going to do that. I don't have all the information that he had. So I'm just second guessing, which is crazy. Well, the same rule applies here. Okay. You know, people only have people that are on the outside looking in only have so much information, Russ. And I think that, you know, for them to say, I'm going to forget this, you know, regret this for the rest of my life. Eh, you know, they don't know what I know. And I'm not being, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not trying to be degrading or anything. Right. You know, but at the end of the day, I have, you know, I've got a big picture view that's different from everybody else's. And I respect their opinions, let them write what they want. Um, you know that, that I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. And at the end of the day, every decision I make is going to be in the best interest of the New York football Giants. It, it, it's you know when you just said that every decision you, you make is going to be in the interest of the New York Football Giants, the best interest. I remember, and and I I remember saying this to John Mara at the time, and he agreed with me. Probably the worst day as an owner for Wellington Mara was the day uh, George Young let Phil Sims go. You know, Phil Phil was you know Mr. Mara's favorite guy. And I remember John Mara telling me his father was despondent driving home that day. Right. But, but, and he didn't really agree with the decision, but he left it in the hands of his general manager. And I remember asking John, do you think George ever made a decision, ever, that wasn't in his heart in the best interest of the Giants? And John agreed without a doubt. Whether they agree with it or not, or not he always did what was best for the Giants first. I think you and every other GM, another guy who taught me that, I don't know if you know him, uh, was the architect for three Stanley Cups with the Devils was Lou Lamarillo, the the same kind of guy. You know, I'm not looking to win a popularity contest. I'm looking to get the job done. Exactly. You know, it's about winning. It's about winning. And, and, you know, we all have, you know, everybody's got their own philosophy. Mine's been developed over 30 years with, you know, having been with a lot of winners, and you know, and and you know, either I'm either I have an idea of what I'm doing, or I'm a big fat rabbit's foot. But I've been to seven Super Bowls now, and I I I'd I like to think I know what it looks like, and smells like, and tastes like. And I mean, it's up to me to get it done here. And uh, you know, we you know we're we're working towards that. But every because the other part of it too, Russ, is what people don't understand is every decision you make as a general manager, you're sending a message throughout the building. You're sending it upstairs, you know, with the business people and mm-hmm. the football people. You're sending it downstairs to the locker room and the players. You're sending messages, and you've got to be very careful about what that message is. So it has to be in the best interest of the New York football giants because of the message you're sending. Well, speaking of making uh, decisions, obviously there's – you know, you don't have to make it, but I think everybody's expecting something to happen. Odell Beckham Jr., what, Dave, is the likelihood of a contract extension, uh, you know, getting done prior to uh, the upcoming season? You know, Russ, I can't, you know, I don't believe in, the, in talking about contract negotiations in public. Okay. Because I think you place undue pressure on both sides to get something done. 
And I have this crazy idea that contracts get done when they're supposed to get done. So that's really all I'm going to say about that. Well, that 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 kind of you know, my wife says something about that. You understand a little Yiddish, Dave? You know what? I, I, I yeah, think. Yeah, you know what beshared means. What's meant to be is what's meant to be. Exactly. That's what's going to. Okay, that's what's going to happen with Odell. But uh, on other Odell business. You know, everybody seems to be concerned, the frame of mind. I've seen him at the complex, but, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy in the media. Uh, what ha- have, have your discussions and Pat's discussions been with Odell, and is, does everybody seem to be on the same uh, page and playing field? Well, when I've, you know, when Odell's been here, he's, he's been terrific. He's been, he's been terrific. So, you know, Pat has his private conversations. I, you know, I have mine, and, and uh, everything's fine right now. Well, uh, uh, one guy who hasn't been there, uh, a young man, Eric Flowers. You made a comment before about some of these young guys, they come into the league and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're they're facing men, grown men. And I view view Eric, I don't want to say a baby, maybe a little immature. Uh, I don't know if that's a fair assessment just from me being around in the locker room the, the past few years. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with him, and what's the likelihood of him being a Giant this coming season? Well, again, you know, he's, uh, like I've said before, Russ, you know, it's this is voluntary. He's an adult. He can make his own decisions. The only thing that's mandatory is the veteran minicamp in June. Um, I don't know Eric well enough to, to, to say anything about his personality or anything. But, uh, you know, for right now, you know, Eric's made his decision, and he's in Miami, and we're up here. You just you touched on something very interesting there. How hard is that for you as the new GM? I mean, listen, Dave, you're a street smart guy. As you say, you've been seven Super Bowls. You, you, you've been in you know around football for 30 years. How hard is it, though, to come into a situation when you have a situation like this and you don't know the guy? And it's kind of hard for you to make an assessment until you sit down and look him in his eyes. It 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 makes it very difficult because I I really believe you know there's an old business saying saying it seek to understand, and until you can talk to someone, you can't understand them. You can you, whatever uh, opinions you formulate, you're guessing, and you can't make decisions when you're guessing. So, you know, it's, I look forward to, you know, when Eric comes up here, I can't, you know, I look forward to getting to spend time with him and talking to him about things, and, and uh, that'll certainly make, make, make things easier. But he's, he's very talented. Um, by all accounts, he's a really good kid. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to have him. You know, I'll be excited when he calls up and says I'm coming. You know, th- this draft, everybody talks about, you know, when you draft this high, you can't. You 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 don't want to make a mistake because it can cost you for years. But it's isn't it in this situation? It's not just your top pick, which for the Giants was second overall. But you never want to be in this position again. I'm assuming, Dave. But you are, and it's it's not just one pick. It really for you it was five picks that were you know fairly reasonable. You know, high picks. That, exactly. That, yeah. This is a, a draft that could keep the Giants in business for years to come. Well, you know, it's, you have to take advantage. When you've got a high, when you've, when you've had that miserable year and you're up in the top of every round, you've got to take advantage of it. And, um, you know, I like you said, we started at the top. I, 
I felt we had a real quality draft, and uh, I, you know, I think all these kids at some point in time could be starters in the league, and it's just a matter of developing. And because as I've talked about before, the the player that we're getting out now is younger and less fundamentally sound, so it's it's they've played less football, you know. So you you know the situational aspect of the game is is kind of foreign to them, um, to a certain degree. And, and, you know, you've, you've got to get them in here and you got to get them going. And I feel like these guys, the, the draft class we have this year is I'm very, very pleased and obviously cautiously optimistic that this, this will be, you know, in three years we'll look back and say, you know what, Gettleman got stupid lucky. Yeah, well, st- stupid lucky is, is pretty good. Uh, you know what the fans want to know? Can the Giants be contenders? And, you know, when they talk about contenders, everybody's talking about getting that fifth trophy in, in, in the window case in the lobby there at the Giants facility. What uh, What's your answer to that? Well, the answer to that is that we feel like we've made a lot of progress and added some quality football players during unrestricted free agency. And we're working the back ends now, back end of the roster now. We feel we drafted well and uh, – with, with guys that can, you know, make impact right away. And, uh, you know, we just got to get everything coming. We got to get everything to come together. You know, you got a new coaching staff. Everything's new and fresh. And uh, I know the atmosphere downstairs has been terrific. The players have been very diligent about their work on and off the field during the OTA sessions. And uh, I'm really excited to see what it's going to look like. Eli, uh, obviously, you you know, just by the way you've picked, you, you've shown a great deal of confidence in Eli. Would it be fair to say, Dave, that if you didn't have any confidence in uh, Davis Webb, you know, like if you, you and Pat looked and, at each other and said, you know, this guy can't cut it, and you, you had nobody there for you, would that have encouraged you to possibly – Go for a quarterback or uh, Russ, you're asking me to speculate. Yeah, okay. You know you know, really I, I, I really don't want to get into that kind of a game. It's it's again it comes back down to value. And Saquon's value is too good. Fair enough. Fair it's enough. Just... I, I, I think speaking of value, you know, I used the term with Odell Beckham before a Bashared. I'm going to use it with you, too, because... No, I'm serious here. In 2007, Jerry Reese gets picked to become the general manager. And listen, Jerry's got a pretty... You know Jerry well. He's got a pretty good resume. Things, you know, two Super Bowls says something. Oh, absolutely. But he gets picked over you. You stay as the pro personnel guy. You go to become the GM of the Panthers in 13. Uh, 2015, you go into the Super Bowl. Now you're here. Did you ever think, you know, when you were passed over, you know, for Jerry Reese, did you think your chances of becoming a general manager had maybe passed you by? Well, it, 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 that really came to me in, two, in 2012. I was convinced it was never going to happen because that year there were four GM openings and I did not get a sniff. And, I, and, and if you just looked at resumes, you know, you know, you realize resumes mean meant nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, heck, you know, in two thousand and eight, the 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 election proved that resumes meant nothing. So, 
you know, you, um, you know, you looked at that, and that's when I, you know, frankly took a step back, talked to John and Jerry, and kind of was going to take the year and and, and do some, th- you know, obviously work for the Giants, and and then do some, ex- you know, do some exploring, and then, you know, bing bang boom, I'm down in Carolina interviewing for the job, you know, so. You know, the bottom line at the end of the day is God has a plan for us all, Russ. Things happen when they're supposed to happen. And I'm I'm very thankful. I never imagined in a million years that I would be sitting in the chair I'm in right now. And I, I just feel completely blessed. Well, you know, listen, you, again, you're saying what's meant to be is meant to be. I think maybe the slogan for the Giants, you know, like uh, – Tom used to have his slogans, and right. everybody had this. I think the slogan for the Giants this year should be, what's been shared is been shared. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Dave, listen, my friend. I, I, I've look, It doesn't mean a thing until you, you guys do it on the field, but right. when you come into a 3-13 and 13 situation, you know there's a dark cloud over an organization. Everybody's miserable. It sucks. You walk around the building, people don't want to say hello, they don't want to say goodbye, they don't want to say anything. And I will say this, in a short period of time, you have, because I see it there, have changed the culture over there. Everybody, there's a little getty up in their steps. And in fairness, you know, I I think Pat has enhanced that once you brought him on board. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pat, Pat, you know, Pat's a character and he's got a dry sense of humor and he's pretty, that's pretty darn funny. And I think we play off each other well. And uh, I'm just excited that, you know, he agreed to take the job and I get the opportunity to work with him. Dave Gettleman, general manager of your New York football giants. Dave, thanks very much for being here. Uh, Look forward to seeing you soon. Same here, kid. Take care. God bless. All right, that was Dave Gettleman. Got to tell you, I, I've come across a lot of GMs, and you know, in a lot of sports, all of them. And I, I, for as long as I've been involved in this business, which is thirty-five years, I, he is the one GM. Uh, as I mentioned, other than Lou Lamarillo, uh, who was the guy who you know built the New Jersey Devils. Um, I've never seen anybody more comfortable in his own skin and who's not afraid to make a decision, who's not worried what fans and media are going to say or criticize uh, and make their decision based upon. And the only thing that matters is what's good for the organization. So I think um, I think the Giants are certainly headed in the right direction. But again, as Dave said, it's all great on paper. Now they got to do it on the field. And other people have to do it on the court, which brings me, we go from one new leader. Let's now talk about another one. David Fisdale, officially introduced this week as the new head coach of your New York Knickerbockers. Been here and done this, folks, many, 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 many times before. Far too many times that I, uh, you know, choose to think about. So, um... Let me say this about the hiring of David Fisdale. I'm not optimistic. I'm not pessimistic. I'm going to take a show-me approach. Show me why it's going to be different 
than before. And it, really, I am not down on a guy. I don't know David Fisdale. I've heard all great things. All great things. But you just don't know. I remember Bill Parcells, I remember asking him about, you know, Ray Hanley followed him after Bill left the Giants. And Ray was a disaster as a head coach. And I remember, and Bill was the guy who, you know, endorsed him. And I remember I was having lunch with Parcells, you know, shortly after, uh, or maybe it was just about when Hanley's um, tenure was about to come to an end. And I asked him, you know, why, what did you see in this guy that made you think he was going to be a good head coach? And Bill Parcells said to me, and i never forgotten it, he said, you never, ever know. A guy could be the absolute best, best assistant. And he said, that goes in any sport. He can be the best assistant, attention to detail, getting everything done. But you never, ever, ever know until they become the man in charge. And Fisdale has a great track record as a assistant, as an assistant. Uh, he, you know, had one good year. I think it was, was it 43 and 39? One good year in Memphis. Then he got whacked early the following year because he couldn't get along with his star player, Marcus Gasol, for whatever the reason. So, again, I'm not putting that as a mandate for, you know, uh, this is terrible. Uh, but, you know, I'm hearing all these things that he's great communicating with players. So there's an example that the player, his star player, he didn't get along with. So maybe that's a problem. That's why I'm not optimistic. I'm not pessimistic. Again, I'm going to wait and see what goes on. I remember the optimism of years gone by when, let's say this, when Larry Brown arrived. I mean, that was like royalty coming in. I remember being at the Garden. I remember the optimism when Isaiah Thomas arrived. And I most certainly, as all of you remember, the optimism when one Phil Jackson arrived as the new president. Jackson's arrival was nothing short of a coronation of a king. And we all bought in, if you recall, everybody. There was no second guessing going on, okay? Everybody bought in, fans and media alike. Well, I mentioned Larry Brown, I mentioned Isaiah Thomas, I mentioned Phil Jackson. How'd that all work out? And those were mega names. Hall of Fame names. All of them. How'd they work out? Now, in fairness to James Dolan, you know, he endorsed him. He thinks he's the right guy for the job. Well, listen, he's paying him, and, you know, what, what is he going to say? But the past few years, I don't put on Dolan because everybody applauded Dolan for bringing in Phil Jackson. Everybody. Nobody could foresee the disaster that that, that was going to be. So it just really has to be a wait-and-see approach. I wish David Fisdale 
a great deal of success. But I just don't know. Been disappointed far too many times before. Grew up on this organization. Grew up as a Knicks fan. You know, I, we hear all this talk about, um, as I said, he relates well to players. Fine. You got to show me. The, the only way to change a losing culture, okay, to a winning culture is by winning. You can be the nicest guy in the world or you can be an a-hole. As long as you win, that's the bottom line. It's a very simple formula. Win and you get a winning culture. Lose and your culture stinks. But if you're going to win, it's up to the players to do it. You can have all, all the niceties and good things on your resume. It's up to the players to get it done. And with the Knicks, no question about it, the most important player is one Kristaps Porzingis. I think we can all agree on that. Unfortunately, we don't even know if Kristaps uh, is going to be playing next season. He's certainly uh, not expected back at least, I believe, at least until December. And again, we don't know if he's going to play. Now, Fisdale well, reports are that uh, David Fisdale is going to be flying over to Latvia soon to meet with uh, Christoph Porzingis. I want to see how that goes. Because personally, um, and I'm not putting a knock on the Knicks for this, personally, I don't like the idea that Porzingis is rehabbing at home in Latvia. Okay? I don't like when any player does that. For me, players should be rehabbing under the watchful eyes of of their team's staff. That's just me, but that's what I believe. I mean, a a team has an investment in a player. They should have a watchful eye over that player. So let's see how, to me, Porzingis responds to his first meeting with Fisdale. I believe that's going to be very, very telling. I really do. Because that's that's the first big test to see how well he communicates with his players and how much the players choose to buy in. Until then, until we find out how that meeting goes, I'm just going to wait and see and let the Knicks show me. Show me why this year is going to be different than in years gone by. Until then, I will just wait to pass judgment. Okay? And now we get to not somebody new coming in. Well, I guess you can say a little bit new coming in. But uh, we're going to talk about something that's been bothering me because I think it's silly and stupid. The Mets traded Matt Harvey, okay? They traded Matt Harvey this week to the Reds for catcher Devin Messerocco, who, by the way, was an all-star in 2014. Uh, but like Harvey, he too was has been plagued by injuries. You know, I mean, he was an All Star in 2014. So, but to me, it, it it's a win win for everybody in terms of getting things straightened out because the Mets were going to have to release him and pay him. So now they get a body in return. They need a catcher. 
if he can do anything because, listen, they've lost uh, Darno, they lost uh, Ploiecki. So if they can get a catcher that can help them, they'll be okay. You know, at least in the in the short term. But they got something for nothing because Harvey was going to be gone. But, you know, Doc Gooden said uh, to my buddies this week, Bernie and Sid, it's, the deal is good for the Mets and it's good for Harvey, for everybody to go in a different direction. The relationship had run its course. So, like, it's like a divorce, folks. A divorce was needed. And to be fair to Harvey... The injuries, and I I don't think people acknowledge this enough. In fairness to Matt Harvey, the injuries have been too, too much. First, it was Tommy John surgery, forcing him to miss all of 2014. But to his credit, Matt bounced back, comeback player of the year the next year. But then it was thoracic outlet syndrome, okay? And then a shoulder stress fracture. Physically, Matt Harvey has been busted up. And I've never been his biggest fan. You know, uh, I think the whole Dark Knight stuff becomes a media sensation. And, you know, listen, New York's a great place to win, and it's a horrible place to lose. And Matt Harvey has felt both because the whole Dark Knight thing took on a life of its own. But Matt... In here, the last few years few years has been physically just broken down, beaten up, and mentally, his problem is he can't deal with it. But what really irks me when fans and media start talking about his nightlife and off-the-field stuff as the reasons for his failures on the mound. On the mound. That, my friends, is flat-out bullshit. Plain and simple. Horseshit. Nobody cared about Doc Gooden's problems as long as he was winning. Nobody cared about Daryl Strawberry's problems as long as he was hitting and helping the Mets win. Nobody cared about the partying of the 1986 Mets when they were on their way to winning a World Series and getting into fights in bars. In fact, those 86 Mets, if you recall, were applauded for their team unity They all went out and got drunk together. Whoopee. My point is winning cures all ills. Every last one of them. You think Babe Ruth didn't go out and get hammered? Huh? Let's go to the 50s. The glorious 50s with your New York Yankees of the 50s. Brawling in the Copacabana. Drunk. They went to see Sammy Davis Jr., Billy Martin celebrating his birthday with Mickey, Yogi, Whitey, Hank Bauer and their wives. Bauer breaks a guy's jaw and gives him gives him a concussion. No problem. Yanks won the pennant. Lost the World Series to the Milwaukee Braves in seven. Yeah, uh, you know, that did lead to uh, Billy Martin being traded away, but are you kidding me? As long as you win, nobody cares at all. And and if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's been said that on the night before Super Bowl III, 
won by the New York Jets. Joe Willie White Shoes Namath was busy with a blonde and a bottle of scotch in his hotel room. Come on. Well, first of all, in, in those days, and you know what I'm talking about, in those days, the 50s and the 60s, well, yeah, it was booze and broads. That's the way athletes were judged. Now with social media and everybody, I mean, quite frankly, if you fought in the wrong direction, you get in trouble. So, judge people on what they do on the field. Did anybody, was the media and the fans coming after one of the greatest football players of all time, not just in this city, but in any city, Lawrence Taylor? I don't believe Lawrence Taylor was a choir boy. Partying and doing every other thing. That's why, to me, it was also so stupid. I'm, I'm just bringing out a point because this Matt Harvey thing, a lot of people have been talking about it, you know, the past week or so. Even longer than the past week, you know, about his problems. Listen, the optics suck, Okay. But optics, what a picture does, doesn't really tell the story, the true story. You know, Harvey certainly made some mistakes and, you know, not sh- showing up or not showing up late one day and, you know, being sent home or missing a practice. I get all that. But you can bet your sweet ass, had he won instead of lost, Nobody would have cared. It was the same thing with Odell Beckham Jr., you know, in a playoff game uh, um, two years ago in Green Bay. Everybody made a big deal because him and his teammates took a trip on an off day to, um, to Florida. That's the reason they lost the game? No, that's not the reason they lost the game. They happened to play lousy. I, I think, quite frankly, Odell just tried too hard in that game. You, players do things on their off days all the time. But in this day of social media, the, the biggest thing Beckham was guilty of at that time was being stupid enough to have that picture go out on social media. Because, again, the optics stink. But as long as you win, that's the only damn thing that matters. So in fairness to Matt Harvey, he's now a Cincinnati Red. I wish him well. I hope he can come back, uh, you know, and and get the contract he was looking for. Well, listen, a couple of years ago, he was thinking he was going to be in line for a $200 million contract coming up this year. Now he's lucky if he gets any kind of a contract. You know, but he hasn't a chance to audition and show people from now till the end of the season in Cincinnati, what he's made of. So I wish him well. Willis Reed, the great Willis Reed, the captain. I had asked him about this years ago. I, I think it was Jason Williams and and um, D- Derek Coleman out late. And I asked him about that. And Willis looked at me and said, Russ, professional athletes play at night. They don't start going out till they get out of their locker rooms. They, they don't start going out till 11, 12 o'clock at night. So it's not unheard of 
to see guys out late at night. Again, folks, in the sports business, it's all about winning. You win, you take care of business. You win, and nobody gives a rat's ass about anything else. You lose, and then they'll find every excuse to blame you. Every excuse. But that's the story on today. Again, winning cures all ills. My thanks to all of you for getting a load of me today. Now I like to, as I say, get a load of you. To do so, all you got to do is send me your thoughts at on Twitter at Russ Salzberg or on Facebook, and I'll read maybe the best comment or comments of the week uh, next week. My thanks to my outstanding producer, Mike Coscarelli, program director here at 77 WABC, Craig Schwab, to all the people at the OG Podcast Network, and of course, you people out there, because without you people, I'd have nobody to talk to. So until next week, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying bye-bye, so long, and farewell. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.